Hi, everyone. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to invite you to come behind the scenes with me. I am writing a book on sustainable ambition, and the book is likely for many of you listening. It's for people who are ambitious, yet not at all costs, and are figuring out how to better align their life and work and continue to pursue their ambitions in a sustainable way. Does that sound like you? The book is early in development, and to start, over the summer and into the fall, I'll be hosting workshops to learn about and test some of the principles, practices, and tools of sustainable ambition and what I'm writing about in the book. The workshops are all free. You'll walk away with new insights and more clarity on how to make your ambitions more sustainable, how to better align your life and work, and how to pursue your ambitions in a more sustainable way. You'll also have a new way of thinking about ambitions and tools to come back to again and again to help you better align life and work and identify opportunities for sustainability. Plus, you'll be able to help me shape what is most valuable for you and others, which would be super impactful and such a gift. I'd love to have you join me on this journey and get a front row seat to what I'm developing. Again, the workshops will all be free, And in exchange, I would simply love your feedback with a short survey and feedback in the session. You can find more details and sign up to join me at sustainableambition.com slash behind the book. That's sustainableambition.com slash behind the book. I hope to see you in the coming months. This is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be ambitious and navigate work from decade to decade without sacrificing yourself or your life. I'm your host, Kathy Onetto, and as promised, I'm back today with my last guest, Darcy Webb's husband, Charlie Gilbert, who I'll formally introduce at the start of the interview. I can't wait for you to meet Charlie and hear what he has to share about creativity, success, and sustaining one's ambition and oneself over time. Here we go. Welcome back, friends. Today, I am joined by Charlie Gilbert, who is an educator, writer, composer, and director who has spent over 40 years making provocative original work for the musical stage and training young artists for professional careers in musical theater. He headed the musical theater program at University of the Arts in Philadelphia from its inception in 1990 until 2008, and served from 2008 to 2013 as director of the Bryan School of Theater Arts. He developed the savvy system of singing, acting, and has taught students using this pedagogy in workshops and residence in Europe. Charlie, welcome to the show. Hi, Kathy. Happy to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and really hearing from you, such a creative being, what it is like to live in this world for this many years and really to develop such a career. So as I said, you spent your career in the creative world and you shared with me in a prior conversation that your parents didn't necessarily come from that world. And for some of us, we may think that stepping into a creative career may not be the norm. And so I'm curious, what led you to pursue a creative path and what gave you the courage to do so? Well, those are, those are really interesting things to, to talk about. Yeah, my, my dad is, is an engineer. My mom uh, had been a, a, an executive assistant and a secretary for, for many years. And so they'd both been in the, in the corporate world. And so uh, 
I mean, music had been just a, an avocation for them. You know, we had music on the record player and they sang in the church choir and things like that. But there was never really any thought that, it, you know, a creative and, uh, profession might might be a viable path. But uh, I guess in, in high school, I uh, had the good fortune to be around some other kids who were very creative and, you know, a couple of teachers who in, encouraged me. Uh, I you know, took piano lessons and found I had a, a flair for that. So I have to say, I, it kind of happened in in spite of anybody's efforts. It was really a, a kind of mysterious thing, a, a gift, you could say, that, that uh, my parents recognized and, and, and God bless them, they encouraged that in me. That, you know, there was never any sense of like, oh, that's weird, don't do that, or don't you know that you're in for starvation and heartbreak or anything like that? They were, they were lovely and supportive about it, you know, drove me to the piano lessons and the rehearsals. And then when I, you know, wanted to study that in college, they uh, supported that and, and, and they've been great. So, you know, the short answer is, I don't know, it was it was really just kind of, it's, it's kind of like being touched with a with a gift and then having the good fortune to have people around who said yes to that. So then that's been your passion in your profession now for over 40 years. What has kept you engaged in this work in this world for so long? Again, an, an, an interesting question. And, and, and again, I'm going to uh, have to fudge a little bit on the answer because when I really think about it, it's, it's like I have no choice, Kathy. I think that's the answer I have that it comes down to for me. I get up each day and I think, well, this is what I do. This is who I am. That uh, way of thinking kind of settled in my brain early on when I when I was a college student. It was like, this is what I do. This is who I am. And so it's my, you know, my identity is really wrapped up in this idea of being a, a creative person in music and theater and then in education that when that when that became a, also a, an opportunity for me. And now here I am at age 67. I'm, I'm retired from teaching, but still I get up each day and that thought is still there. What am I going to do today because, you know, to advance my my, uh, my goals as, as a creative artist. You know, we talked about this uh, in terms of there's this societal conversation at times about, oh, creativity decreases with age or that people can't be creative when they're older. And you even shared that, well, most people don't blossom in their older <laughs> years, you know, and later in life. And yet, you know, here you are still having this creative energy and that's kind of burning in you and calling you. So what's been your experience with creativity at this age? It's It sounds like it's still calling for you. And I'm curious, like, what inspires that for you day to day? I think uh, maybe to your, to your first point, I think if somebody spends their life in a non-creative and endeavor or profession like you know working in an office and then one day they retire from you know from their in selling insurance and decide to be a novelist that's a, that's a, that's an odd thing but i mean the habit of creativity was with me you know like a particular way of looking at the world from the time i i, I was a young man and and through many years when you know, when earning a living was a hassle and I had, you know, we were raising kids and I had to worry about income and this field that I was in, which wasn't very lucrative. How was I, how was that going to work out? Maybe I should do something else. You know, I made a few brief uh, forays into, I was a public relations executive for a little while. I thought, you know, that, that might be a way to use some of my skills, but I just kept coming back to this. And, and now uh, I guess what I what I find is that uh, because I don't have the the daily responsibilities of a full time 
college professor, which was again that was that was my gig for for thirty plus years. I just I have the time and and the the bandwidth to really a- allow my mind off off the leash more to work on these things. And so what I find is that uh, the projects, many of them projects that I thought of along the way and kind of put in a folder, put in a pocket, you know, for you know what for in the when I get around to it file, I, I pull them out now and I look at them and 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 uh, I'm I'm running with them. I'm also I've got new ideas, new projects, and I'm revisiting things that I wrote 30 and 40 years ago and saying, oh, I think I can spruce this up a little bit and make it a little better and and maybe do something more with it than I did originally. So there are all kinds of things that that are popping right now, and and it really is because I have that time time and that bandwidth and encouragement from, you know, from my wife and my friends to keep going with that. So you mentioned this idea of a creative habit or the habit of creativity. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? If people are starting to explore their own creativity, what does a habit of creativity kind of look like? Well, I guess for me, it partly it is uh, what you surround yourself with, the the kinds of uh, you know, like the diet of stimulation that you, that that you choose for yourself. So, I, I find I'm I'm always in in the habit now of reading and reading with curiosity when you're looking at things. When I see a, a story and a video or a TV series or or a news story or whatever, I'm I'm often thinking about those people. I'm I'm curious. I'm questioning those things. I'm looking at the work of what uh, other people people in my field are doing, uh, you know, I'm a fan, a compassionate fan of, of the work that's being done. And when I was teaching, I, I, I got to spend a lot of time teaching the history of the musical theater and looking at the lives and the work of people who are kind of the great role models in the field. So I've got that uh, to I- inspire me as well. Part of my particular creative habit is uh, journaling, uh, you know, kind of my own version of bullet journaling, where I've got a little notebook that's around, you know, every day, and where I'm kind of capturing scraps and bits and pieces of things that uh, that inspire me, that you know, that might be useful either for a project I know I'm working on now, or a future project, or you know, just a kind of a way of capturing the flow of little uh, ideas and you know, bits of brain foam that bubble up and might otherwise just you know, you know blow away and that's been a part of the habit of creativity for me as well that idea of using a journal to capture bits and pieces or even now the uh, there's a little recorder app on my apple watch so if i'm standing in the shower i can just kind of mutter into my watch and get that bit of uh, verse or that tune or whatever that i want to remember and knowing that those things eventually will prove to be useful the creative habit is a bit it's a bit like fishing you're just going down to the river every day and you and you put your line in you know and and so you develop the habit of going to you know going to the fishing hole and you know feeling confident that something is going and you're going to find something there i think that sometimes people think that creativity just happens and what i kind of say hear you saying is that making it a practice it fosters the ability to for creativity to show up more regularly. Is that how you see it? Yes, sure. You, you make it a part of your life. And I've, I've come to realize that that's valuable. You know, I value that, you know, my wife, when she sees me, you know, I'm just off to my desk for a few minutes, she, she values that as, as well. So people around me value that and, and support that. But uh, yeah, finding a way to, to make it a, a daily uh, practice is a, a very important part of it, I think, figuring out what you do each day to keep that going. Now, Charlie, I'm curious, do you ever have 
times when you have multiple ideas that are pulling at you and you really want to work on many of them, but you don't have the bandwidth for all of them. Do you ever face that? And if you do, how do you end up making choices about what to work on? Well, I do, sure, all the time. And I mean, at the moment, even I could say that's true. Um, one thing that I, I've relied on over the years is if, some, if somebody else has said yes to an idea, if, if there's a project that has a, a deadline and somebody's expecting something from me, I tend to prioritize that over, say, daydreaming about that you know pie in the sky thing that hasn't gotten started yet I, lately I, I guess I've, I've been allowing myself to to jump around a little bit and explore you know different ideas multiple ideas nobody has said you know given the green light to anything in particular right now although there's some some possibilities that are a little little bit distant right now and so I'm uh, enjoying the freedom to kind of move back and forth between a couple of different ideas and and I uh, follow my nose about what's kind of exciting me at the moment. I even sense this in this conversation, Charlie, like the joy and excitement you have around this work. And oh yeah. <laughs> I it was interesting. I didn't put this together, but I had the chance this past weekend to see a musical, the musical Once outside of Chicago. And it was such a fabulous experience. I hadn't seen mm. a musical for some time and I enjoyed it so, so much. And I enjoyed watching the performers. From my perspective, they just looked like they were having so much fun and were so joyful. And I was curious, when people are doing this kind of work, are they having as much fun on stage as it looks? I think often they are. I, I mean, I think that's one of the great blessings of being in this field is to be able to do something that brings you personal joy from doing it and also allows you to share that and you know have a kind of communal experience of joyfulness as, as, as part of what you're doing. So I don't think that's faked. Um, sometimes it is stressful to be sure. And there are things about the work that are stressful and that can really chip away at that joy. But when things are working the way they're supposed to be working, I think it's a very joyful experience. And that's, you know, the people in the ensemble on stage are experiencing that and it is infectious. It kind of spreads uh, to the audience just by being in the presence of that. It's interesting, as I was talking to my friend that night, one of the things that he was bringing up was the sense of some people associated with performing arts and that work may feel the high expectations and that there can be a lot of stress associated with that. And yet here I was seeing this other kind of experience of it, which was this really joyful experience. And it made me think about, you know, performing or performance is a word that has different meanings in the English language. And it made me think about like, in this world of creativity or performing, like, how do you talk about success? Or is that even a term that you use in thinking about the type of work that you do? Or how did you kind of teach around how people think about their work in this type of creative field? Well, that word success is a very uh, loaded word, and it's a difficult thing to talk about. It's a difficult thing to think about. I mean, I, I suppose at one level, I would say I am 
not successful. I mean, I've never had a Broadway show. You know, there there are certain kind of measures of professional accomplishment that I I can look around and say, uh, you know, I'll never be Stephen Sondheim. You know, I knew Stephen Sondheim. I knew I mean, you know, both personally and professionally, and I'll never be that. So I'll never achieve what the people who are my great role models have achieved and yet by other metrics sure i i guess i'm very fortunate and successful and having been able to do things and create a a body of of work but working with young artists which i've done a lot in in the college setting we have to talk about what is success and of course that's the great stress of being in the creative field is that feeling that of wanting somebody to hire you to say yes to your idea, to say yes to your being involved in this project. So when you're seeing people on stage in a show and the audience is there and that's all happening, there's been a lot of yes that's happened at that point. And so everybody's really happy. But the the, the stress of being in a creative uh, endeavor is when you're auditioning and you're not booking the show, when you're sending out proposals or sending submitting scripts for competitions and nobody is is showing any uh, any interest in response to that. So figuring out how to how to keep going during those times uh, when you feel like a failure, you feel like you're not succeeding, then you really have to. Uh, I don't know, you, it, you have to confront that demon of what is success and am I successful? Am I experiencing success? And uh, I've seen a lot of the uh, young artists that have trained with me in college after you know five years of that and five years of rejection. And they say, screw it, I'm going to go sell real estate or be a teacher or do some, you know, some other thing. And, and they've done some really re- remarkable, great things. And you know, meanwhile, the theater and the arts are still very much a part of their lives at that point. So is it right to say that that person is no longer a success because they're now in talent management or real estate or, you know, whatever they're doing now? Success is a an elusive thing and one that you kind of negotiate with yourself all the time. What What is your definition of that? Can you say a little bit more about what did that look like as a teacher to kind of talk to students about this? It sounds like this was part of the educational process and part of the coursework to talk about how do you have the fortitude to kind of stand up to this kind of either rejection over time until you finally get that yes, or how did you talk to them about stepping into this defining success for themselves? Well, in some ways, it really is the big ongoing conversation of college life. And it's not just what you talk about in the classroom, you know, uh, as a an administrator, I would, you know, when we would post the cast list for a show, invariably there was a line of kids outside my door who wanted to, you know, talk or cry or then say, I didn't get, why didn't I get that role or I should have gotten that role or this is not fair or this college, I paid money to this college and I'm not getting the experiences I need. So there are lots of conversations like that uh, along the way, helping in in our teaching we try to help the students understand the uh, the nature of the professional performing arts what you bring to an audition what your how you calibrate your uh, expectations how you kind of look at what's going on in the industry and what the expectations are of are in the industry and say to yourself okay I'm I'm ready for that or I'm up to that or I'm not up to that or whatever and that's a 
a daily work that, that, that we do. Um, I'll go down this path a little bit here. In, in, in the theater, there's this sense of types that, you know, often we're looking for people who are certain types, who are good looking and fit and have, you know, beautiful voices with certain high notes and, you know, can be funny. And, you know, I have those kinds of gifts, many of which are innate. And if I have a student who loves the theater, but doesn't necessarily have those attributes, how do you talk to them about that? How do you say maybe for you as a short, heavy set person with a low voice who, you know, and nobody's written a role for you in a musical yet, what is your future in the, in the theater? And those are, those are difficult conversations. And sometimes they work out, you know, sometimes it all works out. I think quite often they, they, they find their path and sometimes they make a new path. You know, it's like, a, that, that's a thing that's really interesting right now is that in the field of the performing arts, there seem to be more opportunities for people who don't conform to a certain ideal in a way that there, there weren't 30 years ago. I think this is so valuable. And it's interesting. I have a business background. And I think these types of um, experiences are less explicit in that world. And, you know, it almost sounds like I can I can see kind of a parallel experience that some people have. And yet, there aren't as um, open conversations about, hey, you may not be this type, but you might fit here better instead. And I, it sounds like these, for because of the world that you live in, these are kind of ongoing, constant conversations that people are needing to experience and can almost, you know, can be hard, but yet can also be helpful in them finding their place in this world in whatever path they then choose to take from there. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's really been an interesting part of the work all along and to see how people bloom and well even myself how you know how i bloomed on an, an undergraduate me didn't have a clue about so many things and yet we, over time i figured those things out figured how to build on my strengths and how to steer away from my weaknesses or or not be crippled by my weaknesses find ways to to address them and build them up and so on i think that's part of everybody's life work, whether you're in the performing arts or whatever field you're in. Yes, I would agree. Well, you're talking about your role as a teacher. I wanted to come back to that. That's really where you spent much of your career. What do you love about teaching? So many things. I have to say, first of all, I, I really didn't know early in my early 20s in graduate school that teaching was really going to be my path. I really thought that I was strictly going to follow the the path of, of the professional in the in the performing arts. But some of my professors in undergrad uh, stayed in touch with me. And I guess they saw something in me. When, and when there was a teaching position that opened up there at the University of Delaware, where I did my undergrad, they said, Would, why don't you apply for this? We think you'd, you know, you'd do a good job with this. And I wasn't pursuing that. But I thought, well, okay, there's here's a salary and uh, some some benefits and things that have been eluding me so far. So I did it. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And I've always enjoyed leading young artists through the same that same kind of experience of having your eyes opened to the the world and the possibilities of the world, which is a thing that I, I I liked so much about my experience as a college student. Actually, one of the musicals I'm working on right now is a musical about undergraduate students in a college. You know, kind of capturing some of that magic of what it's like to when you're you know, a teenager and you, you you only know a little bit of the world because of your experience growing up and then you go to college and suddenly you know your mind is is blown by the different people that you meet and the different 
artistic works that you experience and, and so on. Doing that in Philadelphia at the University of the Arts was great because there's so many amazing experiences that are waiting for you there in, in, in a city like Philadelphia. Not just artistic experiences, but life experiences. I, I do love that. I love seeing people kind of awaken to the, you know, the world around them, to, to the great works of the past, to the experience of you know, what it's like to experience great work and make great work and, and have the, you know, that, the kind of e intense elation of that or the intense satisfaction of that. So I really think that's been one of, one of the chief pleasures of, of being an educator in this field. So you're talking about great work, and I want to connect that back to this idea of defining one's own success. How do you think about great work? The way I think about great work is always informed by, you know, I, I look at the things that excite me, that move me, that uh, excite my peers and excite the people who, who write about and, and think about the field. And then I try to maybe reverse engineer a bit of that to say, okay, so if these are if these are the characteristics of great work, then how can I help my students to do that? In the case specific case of performance of of doing great work on the stage, um, that led me to develop a, a, a pedagogy, a way of teaching that could bring out those those qualities. In, in time, I felt I was I was coming back to okay. These are the key attributes of effective singing, acting of great you know great work on the musical stage. So how can we then train like athletes so that we can actually um, get closer to those goals and and and, and 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 incorporate more of those attributes into our work? And so that led to what eventually. Uh, was called I called the savvy system and the and the savvy is an acronym where the four letters of of that acronyms uh, are referred to specificity authenticity variety and intensity for essential qualities of effective singing acting you know it was it was it's been an interesting part of my job as a, as an educator to look at work and think well what makes it great and how can I help my students get closer to that with what they're doing. And so then you started to teach that pedagogy. And that, is that what kind of pulled you into that? Really that you, of course, in the work that you were doing, that's part of, you know, defining and figuring out what you were going to teach your students in terms of this mm -hmm. is what great work looks like. This is what I need to teach you to do. And then you started to take that to other teachers so that they were teaching a similar thing. What was that like to start to take that work into and, you know, and really spreading it? I mean, that's really, Charlie, your legacy in some ways. Yes, yes, and that's super exciting and, and been been very gratifying. About twenty five years ago, in in the late nineties, uh, I was part of the formation of a professional organization for musical theater educators. Those were my pe my people <laughs> for 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 a, a long time, and it was great because that uh, gave me the opportunity not only to see what other people were doing in other schools and learn from that and copy that, but also to present what I was doing to them, to the teachers, and in some cases to their, to their students as, as well. And the, the, the feedback that I got, the questions that I got, the responses that I got were, were very, very helpful to me. But that, that organization, Music Theater Educators, really gave me a platform where I could start to spread my ideas and validate those ideas. And in many cases, people who had you know, books of their own and platforms of their own were saying, yes, you're really onto something here. You should, you know, you should go with this and 
here, here's how you can take this, take this farther to the next level. So it really became, you know, um, there was momentum that got built up as, as I, as I shared that with my colleagues and as, as I got response from them. So nowadays, I'm, I'm no longer actively involved in the teaching of undergraduates, but I am doing more to promote my book and to promote the ideas about teaching that I had. And uh, in some cases, that means people who were my students in the classroom who are now teachers, but it also means as people who are finding me, uh, you know, by word of mouth or on the internet or at conferences or whatever. And, and I hear from people around the world who are, uh, you know, starting to uh, embrace these ideas and as you can imagine, that's just as good as it gets, Kathy. That's really exciting. <laughs> what people can't see right now is just the broad smile on Charlie's face as he says that. <laughs> so I just, yes, <laughs> it's exciting yeah. when your work gets out there and it's influencing people or really helping people, you know, and, and helping them and their passion and finding their path um, and making, you know, supporting them, creating their great work. So that's phenomenal. That's you supporting others. I wanted to also ask you, you are married to Darcy Webb, who I also spoke to here on the podcast. And you mentioned earlier how both your parents supported you, how Darcy supported you. I'm curious how important from your perspective partnership is in helping people in pursuing their passions or their ambitions. Well, it's been key for me. Uh, I, I can't imagine how you could do that if the, if the other people in your life aren't, uh, aren't behind you. And uh, yeah, Darcy and I met doing a musical together. Uh, she was in the cast and I was the music director. We've done shows together over the years when she was active on the, on the stage. I've written songs for her to sing. Uh, and also, I've left her at home to watch the kids on a whole lot of nights when I was off gigging and doing shows and so on. So in all kinds of ways, that uh, that support and that partnership and has been really, really valuable. So I, I like I say, I, I can't imagine doing that, trying to pursue this kind of endeavor if you don't have that kind of support. Mm. And I'm curious, you know, it's, it sounds like there's a lot of joy that can come from this work, but there can also be a lot of stress that can come with it as well. Are there ways that you found that has helped sustain you with this work? Or do you find that there's activities that help others as they're doing creative work that helps sustain them? Yes, I, I must have to have survived this long. I think having a, a kind of full life where there are other things going on in your life is an important part of that. You know, good physical health. I mean, the part of what I'm I'm doing now each day is, you know, working out and taking care of myself physically and like what I eat and so on, so that I'm in a in in a good place to do what I need to do and and. Uh, Having time to refuel, to be you know um, among friends, to have stimulating experiences that that are not work, I think is is important to have a, a balance and a mix of things in your life. I have more of that now than I I do. I would say there was a there was a point maybe fifteen or twenty years ago where I was much more all work all the time, and it got kind of exhausting, and it got hard on the hard on all of us. But now uh, I, I feel like I've got a, a better balance, a better mix of things. And so those are a couple thoughts about that maybe that are useful. 
I mean, during those times of all work all the time, was there like was having the family helpful for you in terms of sustaining yourself? Or are there specific things do you recall that you kind of went to to help ease those times? Sometimes it was and sometimes also it was um, it was part of the the stress because I didn't always make the right decisions about what was the what was the priority. Sometimes I I prioritized work over family and over kind of intimate uh, relationships in my life and then paid the price for that, you know, in terms of unhappiness and 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 uh, pressure and and what have you. So um, I think I learned a lesson from that. My family and the people who are in, you know, who are close to me come first, you know, really making that a first priority, you know, and, and the, the work, the work goes on. The theater is tricky that way because there's so much of when you, when you're involved in a show, it's like, you know, opening night and the curtain goes up, you have to be there. It's non-negotiable in a way that say, I don't know if you're, if you work at a, at a desk or, you know, in a traditional job, I mean, like both of my sons that uh, are both in uh, computer software and in the tech industry. And so they're able to get up and, you know, ma- manage their lives and walk away from the job sometimes to take care of things. And it sometimes in the arts, it didn't feel like I could do that. The things I'm doing now, writing, you know, it's, I'm mostly like on my own schedule and on my own clock. But there, there were times when I was really between a rock and a hard place as I tried to pursue that. And uh, I'm not sure I always made the, the best decisions about that. I am curious, too, when when your work and I know you taught, but when your work is all creative, is it hard to have still creative juices left or creative energy left to kind of, does that become still the space where you find uh, restoration by being creative in that space? Or is it in other activities? Because you said, I, I looked for stimulating experiences outside of work. And I'm curious if those were still creative pursuits in the musical theater, or if they were actually other things as well. Well, I think, uh, I think other things, I think, you know, Hanging out with friends, walking the dog, going to a museum, you know, going to, uh, you know, uh, going to pick fruit in the countryside or whatever. Having other kinds of experiences that that was that that was really useful and and restorative. So now here you are, you have more space and time and capacity for this creative work. What is your current ambition I, st- I still haven't given up on that idea of, of the Broadway show, and uh, and and I'm I'm pursuing that or pursuing the idea of getting more work of mine on the stage. Maybe it won't be Broadway, but I, but I'm really committed to to getting some work of mine on the stage, and that's a thing that I that I'm pursuing pursuing every day now. Really, just I think trying to uh, to build on the accomplishments of, of the last 40 or 50 years in, in terms of what I've made, trying to secure a little bit more of a, what, of a, of, of a legacy, make sure that my influence reaches a little bit farther. I mean, I, I really don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, like what kind of, what kind of time is left to me or what I can uh, expect to accomplish. I, I, I tell a story sometimes about the novelist, Anthony Burgess, who learned he had a year to live. His doctor you know, diagnosed him as, as having a year to live. 
and he had never written a book before. And so I thought, but now I'm a, I better knew it now because uh, my wife will need the money when I'm gone. And the book, that was the beginning of his writing career. And, he, and it turned out the doctor had gotten the diagnosis wrong. And he went on to write dozens of books and became this really towering figure of uh, in, in the, the late part of the 20th century and as, as a novelist. So Darcy and I have this conversation sometimes. What would you do if you knew you had a year to live? You know, what, what would be the things you'd prioritize? And so I'm trying to live a little bit more according to that. Well, well, if I only had a year, what would be important to me? And certainly trying to get my stuff on the stage is important. But also, to you know, I, I really have a great desire to, to travel, to see more of the world. And, and so I've been very intentional about prioritizing that, making, you know, making time for that. Um, and, and it's a really great mix of experiences that I'm having right now because of that. Sounds lovely. Well, and you said the word, Charlie, earlier, retirement. And yet I'm curious, what does retirement mean for you? Well, uh, yeah, retirement is a word that I, I kind of uh, bristle about a little bit because, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm retired from teaching. And that means that I can, you know, access Social Security and, and the, you know, pension money that, I, that I, I saved while I was working. And so I guess that's part of what retirement means to me. But I still... I still wake up with big plans every day with with big dreams and eager to tackle the things that are on my list and often that includes things that I know I'm I'm you know I'm going to enjoy that are just going to in, enrich my life so it's a, it's it's a it's a busy time for me but it's not quite so I don't feel, feel pressed in the same way and it it's great it's not retirement maybe it's the next chapter in in my story I love that Well, Charlie, this has been a fabulous conversation. I so love just hearing your experiences and just giving us visibility to this living a creative life and living in a different world from what I have experienced in my own life and career. I'd love to just ask this final question, which is, is there a final takeaway or guidance you might have for people to sustain their ambition and interest in a pursuit over time, just as you have for over 40 years now? Well, when I think about that, I think about some of the things we've talked about in, 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 in this conversation about the importance of having people who will say yes to you, who will support you and, and finding those people, um, cherishing them, nurturing those relationships that, you know, that's been uh, a, an important part of sustaining what I've done over the years. I mean, I was I was lucky uh, as as a young man that I had some 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 talent and some enthusiasm for this, but along the way because I had people, parents, teachers, a spouse, friends, colleagues who said, "Yes, keep going. Yes, do that. Yes, I'll help you do that." That was really key to me. So if you can find those people who will say yes to you, surround yourself with them. And I guess that means avoiding the ones who are going to say no as well, getting out of it. If you're in a situation where you find yourself with people who are saying no to you, then maybe you need to make some kind of change in in your circumstances. Very wise counsel. Well, Charlie, what can we do for you? And where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Well, um, people who are interested in my work, uh, the, the work I've created for the musical theater might be interested in, in looking at my portfolio website, chasgilbert.com, where you can listen to a lot of the work that I've created and, and read news about things that are coming up. 
And the book, The Savvy Singing Actor, has has a companion website called SavvySingingActor.com. And you can read it there about the, about the work of the singing actor and uh, find out more about my book and training for the musical stage and, and even working one-on-one with me in a coaching kind of relationship. That's also something that I enjoy doing. Wonderful. Well, and of course, I'll capture that all in the show notes. Charlie, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for taking time with me today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Me too, Kathy. I've enjoyed it very much. I don't know about you, but I loved hearing from Charlie and Darcy. For me, I find it fascinating to get a view of a creative life that has been different from my own. Plus, they really inspire me. I want to be ambitious like them at their stage of life, too. What will it take? What I took away from speaking with Charlie, first, is that support is so valuable. Find the people who will say yes to you. Find your champions throughout your life and work journey. Second, don't censor yourself. Think about what can't you not do? Where do you have no choice but to pursue an ambition, like Charlie with his creativity? Is there something there for you to explore? And finally, we heard this from Charlie and Darcy. It's critically important to sustain ourselves regardless of our age. I loved how they both shared how sustaining themselves is directly correlated to them being more fruitful with their ambitions. So what about you? As you reflect on today's conversation with Charlie, what spoke to you? And what's one insight that caught your attention that you will take action on? And how will you put it into action within the next 24 hours? With that, thank you for being here with me and Charlie Gilbert. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. And if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to hear more, please subscribe and rate and review where you listen. I'll be back in your feed in two weeks with a new story of sustainable ambition. See you next time.